it's more than just figuring out who's doing what and getting the technology and all those kinds of things. It's creating the roadmap to say, how do we create a structure where we know we're going to have probably three different types of employees, but we want to still have an engaging culture. We want people to be committed. We want people to have this, regardless of where you are, to have the same opportunities for career development, for training, for all those kinds of things. We don't want people who are sitting on a Zoom call because they've chosen to uh, live in Atlanta, where we don't have an office, to feel like they're sort of second-class citizens. Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Hey everyone, today's guest is Mark Gundecker, the Chief People Officer at Metro Mile. Mark has more than 25 years of experience covering the breadth of InsureTech. Most recently, Mark was the SVP of Human Resources at Salesforce.org, the public benefit corporation for Salesforce. While there, Mark grew the organization from 300 to over 1,100. Previously, Mark led HR organizations for global engineering and finance organizations. Mark is passionate about community involvement and currently serves on three nonprofit boards. He holds an MBA from the Golden State University and a BA in business economics from the University of California, Santa Cruz. So excited to have Mark on the show today. I hope you enjoy this episode. Mark, thank you so much for being with me. Oh, sure. Thank you for allowing me the time to do this. So given your background and your, you have many, many years of HR leadership experience, I'm curious, you know, can you share a little bit how you ended up at Metro Mile and um, why you made the decision at this point in your career to join the organization? Yeah, what was intriguing to me about Metro Mile is when I joined, they were getting ready to do a big growth push uh, and we were, we were really going to grow. They'd really sort of uh, gotten to the point where we knew the product, we knew what we were going after. And so we were, we were really looking to do a lot of growth and, you know, they were looking to take their HR department uh, and figure out how to best build an HR department that would structure this, this company as it grew. And given my background that I have a number of different times come in and either done restructuring or high growth, uh, that was exciting to me. So uh, plus I thought the product was really unique and interesting. Uh, and I wanted to work for a company that I thought was breaking the mold in an industry. And you know, my very first HR job was in the insurance industry, and my most recent one was in the tech industry. And Metro Mile being a blend of both of those seemed like it was a it was the right next step for me at that point. A big part of why we have the Leveling Up podcast is to highlight innovative solutions within talent development and employee experience. And so it's interesting to see you make that shift from you know, insurance early in your career, all the way to Metro Mile, which of course has a really unique model for pricing insurance. Um, how have you seen just over the past year and a half, um, how have you seen what you're doing at, at Metro Mile shift? So has that changed anything um, with the pandemic coming in and adjusting your, your strategy there? Absolutely. And I think any HR leader you've talked to, regardless of how many years of experience we'll have, will say this past year and a half, has been the most challenging uh, as an opportunity, as, as the time, as period to lead HR uh, ever. And the word that I keep using, I felt like I've used at least for the last year is adaptability. Those of us that have done well have been adaptable. And those people that like to have a very great rule book and understand the way that things go <laughs> have probably struggled a little bit more. Uh, and part of that is because, you know, every month, week, day, sometimes 
things have changed. The other thing is I think HR people in general were really good networkers and were really good at using uh, uh, one another to help each other out. So people have always figured something out before, right? Or people have always gone down this. So you use your resources, you use your partners, you use your networks to do that. So when all of a sudden we were all faced with, how do I move 350 people that are in the office every day to be fully remote for who knows how long? Nobody done that before. Nobody had the book on their back shelf that pulled that out. Nobody could send an email to say, okay, how did you do this when you did it You know, last year? We were all figuring it out on the fly, which in retrospect was a really interesting challenge and a really good learning experience, I think, for a lot of us, uh, but uh, was not something that I think we're necessarily used to doing, um, sort of as we're, at, we're very used to knowing our skill set and knowing our background and being able to, to use that. And so to be faced with uncertainty in the way that that came up was, was very different. And that's where I kind of come back to that word of adaptability. Those of us are really adaptable um, have really been able to, and we're still not, you know, we're still not done. We still haven't, there's, we haven't closed the, the book on, on, on this. Every week we get different guidelines and changes and requirements and laws. And so it's following all that kind of stuff. And it's, I can't tell you how many back to the office plans we've put together and put back on the shelf um, as things have just changed in the world. And it's okay. You know, we're, we're able to do that. And we've gotten to the point where we know that um, we're able to adjust uh, and, and adapt to those kinds of things. And how have you been pulling in the perspective of your employee base as you've been having to adjust and adapt over the past few months? Yeah, I think one of the things we do really well here at Metro Mile, and I think it's super important for any talent leader, is being transparent about what you're doing. You know, and there are things, you know, that the, the, the right time and place. We're a public company, so you can't always be transparent about um, some, some things, but you can be as transparent as possible. Certainly things on what we're doing around returning to work it makes a lot of sense to be able to uh, have those conversations. And so we were very open and upfront with people about what we were going to do, including saying a lot, particularly early on, was, I don't know. You know, I think a lot of, and, and that's, like, that's another one of those places that HR leaders are not comfortable saying, I don't know. So being able to say, I don't know, we're figuring it out with the whole rest of the world was important to be able to do. You know, in retrospect, when people ask me, like, what would I change about it? Uh, about kind of what we did. I think in retrospect, I would, I would be even better about communicating that. I don't know. I would be even better about communicating where we are in each step of the way um, as we moved forward. Uh, but we kind of got probably a few months into it where we, we were able to have a little bit better communication about it. And every once in a while, we'll still get the question about, hey, what's going on? And it's like, okay, I guess everybody still doesn't know because people coming in all the time, et cetera. So just needs to, to continue to remind people about that. We like to get tactical around here. And so I'm curious, how did you gather that information? Was it going out and interviewing employees, having surveys? Like what was the most effective way to, to understand feelings within the organization and um, get in front of those? Yeah, we do a couple things at Metro Mile that I think are, are really helpful in understanding the pulse of the organization. Uh, we do annual, or sorry, we do an employee survey twice a year. And so that was always something we did. Over the past 18 months, rather than normally we would have done two surveys during that time, I think we've done five. Um, and some of them were a little bit more targeted to ask some of those questions specifically about how people were feeling about their work from home and were they supported and what else they needed and those kinds of things. And some more sort of the traditional things. We saw when we first went 
work from home and things were challenging and people weren't sure what things were doing. Uh, we saw uh, for, for the first time in a number of years, a big decline in our uh, employee engagement score. And we did the, the engagement survey about four months later after that. Uh, and we ended up not only great increasing that score, but increasing it to the highest level that we'd ever had um, in the organization. And then we just finished our survey last month, the, the six months after that. Um, and we actually increased engagement score again, which I'm really proud of. And I think a lot of that is not because everything's wonderful and not because there aren't still, you know, some angst and uncertainties, right? That exists everywhere. But I think our employees know we're being transparent with them. We're responding uh, and not always necessarily responding how they might want it to be every single time, but we're, we're giving them information about why that, why that is. So that's one of the things we do. The other thing that we do is we have weekly all hands calls it was something that was in our culture as well. Uh, but we did them every other week. Uh, and once we sent everybody home, we started to do them weekly uh, and we've retained that. We've done that ever since. And that's just a great check-in for the pulse of where people are. Um, and then we also have a, mechanism where anybody who wants to can submit and question and it can be anonymous if they want to or they can put their name on it we like to encourage communication and get people to put their name on it but but people don't always and i understand why and so those questions come in to leadership and then every other week we do just a q a uh, and we will answer any and all questions even when they're uncomfortable even when you know the answer might not be what people want to hear but we do that every week and so particularly having that forum has given us a good insight into where people might be the most challenged or where they really want to see uh, some additional changes that they might not have seen so far. First of all, congratulations on improving engagement scores in such a short amount of time. I know Thanks. with an organization of your size that that's not an easy feat. I mean, it's not an easy feat for even a small yeah. organization, <laughs> but, um, and, and I really like the all hands and, and the Q and a, I'm curious, you know, within the all hands means I'm assuming that there's some amount of interaction for team members can speak up and ask questions in that, or is that where the Q and a comes in as well? It's the, like it's a lot of presentation and we try and, uh, solicit information from people about what they want to. Because one of the one of the pieces of feedback, frankly, we got is, I don't know what's going on in all the different parts of the business. Uh, and as everybody's day-to-day you know, -day working on what they're doing, sometimes it's hard to sort of see, oh, that piece is doing this and that might impact me later on. So we realized one of the things we needed to do was use that as a forum to make sure everybody was educated on the different pieces of the business um, and what they were doing and how they might um, by impact. But we do that on a Zoom call. We leave the chat open. We typically get, you know, anywhere from three to 10 questions every time that come in uh, on a Zoom chat. So we do that. And then a lot of times that's followed up with questions that come into the Q&A as well. And we always open it up at the end for questions uh, anyway about any general topic that might come up as well. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, these ideas are what everybody's trying to identify. Like you said, initially, this is the network of, of leaders who want to build on what other people are doing and, and try to leverage that for their own um, employee experience. As you, you you were mentioning earlier how things have shifted since the pandemic, but I'm curious what has stayed the same. What do you feel has in terms of retaining great employees and making sure that they're feeling developed within the organization? Which parts of HR and, and talent development would you say have stayed the same in the past 18 months? Yeah, I think one thing that we've always been able to offer our employees is really an you know, this interesting mix of technology and insurance and really building something that 
it can be an iconic brand uh, as as we move forward. And so they really see the impact on the product. You have a more junior, say, engineer coming in who, if they went to work for, you know, nameless large company in Silicon Valley, uh, they would probably be doing a very little piece of work and they wouldn't see the impact. We have engineers, you know, relatively newer engineers that can come in and do some work and see it show up in our app within a month, you know, or less than that. So they really can see the impact and they really get the opportunity to work on things that, that they really don't get anywhere else. Um, you know, our success is really fueled by, um, this these teams that work together that understand the impact of what they do uh and really is a is a big opportunity for their careers so that hasn't really changed we have done you know we do a lot of feedback try and have a lot of feedback loops uh, for our employees those probably have even increased more um have had to be a little bit more uh deliberate, I think, because of everybody working from home. But in some cases, that actually is, has made that more positive because you have to make an effort to do it versus, oh, we'll run into each other in the lunchroom and then we'll have some of that feedback that doesn't necessarily happen. So that's been been positive as well. So, um, And we've always had tools like LinkedIn Learning is something that we use that's been helpful to, to our uh, team. We've continued to use those kinds of uh, training programs as people need them and continue to give them opportunities to develop themselves in other areas. That was going to be my next question, which was, you know, as we're moving away from being in the office, there are a lot of new skills required to, to level up within making sure teams are still functioning effectively. And of course, I'm, you're rolling out different initiatives. You are planning a return to the office slash hybrid in the future, right? That's, that's where this is headed. Can you speak a little bit to what your general long-term vision is for the return to work? Or is that still high level off the table? Oh, no. We've been talking about it for a long time. I'm happy to share. And our employees I've been reading it, so. about it. Yeah. Uh, I've been reading and, about you know, it. And it, as I that's the adaptability part. We've we've been ready to launch for a couple of different different times as as things have changed. Uh, but one of the things we did early on, when I was talking earlier about communication and what we did, is probably about four months in, we had a lot of employees that were like, "This is going on longer than we thought it was." When we first left, everybody thought you know be a couple of weeks, right? And then as we realized it was longer, they're like, "You know, I'm living." in an apartment with, in San Francisco with four other roommates and it's really hard for me to work and I have a support network back home in Michigan or I'm, you know, my spouse and I have always wanted to buy a house and we were thinking about relocating to Portland and can I do that? And when would I need to come back was the question we kept getting. So what we ultimately decided was that this has worked for us. We weren't sure, but we found out it works for us to have team members who are 100% remote. So we told everybody, you know, probably about four months in, if you make a choice and you move away from whatever city you were working in and choose not to come back, you'll still have a job and you'll be able to be a 100% remote worker. So I think that really helped us to retain a lot of people. It's actually helped us to recruit a lot of people too, because we've done a, a, done a ton of recruitment since people have been home as well. So we've been able to recruit in different areas uh, for talent that we probably wouldn't have been able to find before, uh, which has been, been super helpful as well. And so that made a big difference for people to say, hey, we can be fully remote, but there are a lot of people for whom going into an office is, is equally important. So we wanted to have the experience for everybody. So we've basically kind of talked to people and said, 
do you want to be an office employee? Do you want to be a remote employee? Or do you want to be a hybrid employee, which probably means come in a couple of days a week and uh, three days a week from home, whatever that might look like. And so um, we haven't actually classified everybody there. We've asked them their interest at some point, but because we haven't actually got to the point where we've been able to safely move back into our offices, we haven't officially put together. But we realize majority of our people either want to be remote or hybrid in some sort. So that's pro- that's what we are designing programs to do. We call it our Workplace 2.0 21. Uh, project. And it's more than just figuring out who's doing what and getting the technology and all those kinds of things. It's creating the roadmap to say, how do we create a structure where we know we're going to have probably three different types of employees, uh, but we want to still have an engaging culture. We want people to be committed. We want people to have this, regardless of where you are, to have the same opportunities for career development, for training, for all those kinds of things. We don't want people who are sitting on a Zoom call because they've chosen to uh, live in Atlanta, where we don't have an office, to feel like they're sort of second-class citizens. So we put some guidelines together for when we do come back into the office about like what meetings, meetings will be like. You know, Everybody will have their own screen, you can't go into a conference room and have a bunch of people sitting around together and one person on the board. If there is one person that's not there, there are certain rules and regulations that we want everybody to follow so that everybody feels connected. We conveniently have our conference room set up so that we've got whiteboards and cameras so that people can work on projects together and whiteboard stuff out and those kinds of things. So Workplace 2.021 for us is really not just about where people are and how do we safely design our offices to get people back there, but it's also about what work practices are we going to put in place that are going to continue our level of engagement and culture that we have now. I I just had Nolan Church, who founded Continuum. He used to be the head of people at Carta, and before that, he was at DoorDash. Uh, He was on the show, and we're publishing that next week, but um, talking about how, you know, this hybrid model can create a lot of problems. And it really sounds like Metro Mile has gotten ahead of that tier A, tier B sort of, you know, problem where people are in the work, uh, some people are in the office, some people are at home and they feel like a second class citizen, right? In that sense. So congratulations on that. I hope it it plays out well over the the coming months. Yeah. And, you know, kudos to like our leadership team and our CEO who, you know, identified it really early on. Like if we're going to do this, we need to make sure that, that we aren't making people feel like second class citizens and making that it's going to work. And so we have, have put a lot of work into making sure it happens. We haven't actually rolled it out yet because we're still haven't actually moved back into our offices yet. So I'm sure there'll be a little bit of, again, back to my favorite word of adaptability, adaptability for everybody to make sure that 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 works. Uh, but I, you know, I'm confident that going in with that as the goal, we'll make sure that we figure it out so that we can continue to, to keep that level of culture and engagement. Great. Well, so as we look to the coming years and, and as you look to identify what challenges might be around the corner, what are you trying to get ahead of in addition to what you've shared so far in terms of challenges? Yeah, I think challenges for everybody, not Metro Mile in general, is this whole, you know, what are we going to do? The nature of work has changed for everybody. So uh, that's what we just talked about is probably biggest on our list to make sure we get that done right. And I know, you know, other leaders who've made different calls about it, who've said, you know, you do need to return to work and you do need to, you know, I, I think it will put them a bit at a, at a competitive disadvantage for talent over time, uh, which is sort of the biggest you know, reason that we wanted to do it as well. But it's going to be a big challenge for all of us. The other piece, I think, for anybody, but you know, again, particularly for us, is how do we continue to be you know, the employer of choice 
in a really hot job market. You know, one of the solutions for that, again, kind of going back to our overall plan and returning to the offices, because we've told people they can be remote, we've opened up a number of job markets that we haven't had before. So there are super talented technical people in lots of states other than California, you know, or outside of New York or Boston, where, you know, we've, we've, we've typically found people. And so the fact that we can offer that has, has sort of helped that. But as, as things evolve in the next couple of years and what post-COVID work life looks like, being thoughtful about that so that we continue to be this employer choice will really be a challenge for us as we move forward. And then I think, you know, continuing to motivate, engage, empower employees you know, really to do their best work, whatever, wherever that is. I think coming out of COVID, and I don't know, I mean, there's never going to be a date where like, boom, we're out of COVID. But I think as people sort of see that, everybody's going to kind of have a different reaction and think about, okay, is this what I want to do? Is this where I want to be? What options are open to me that weren't? Uh, and making them feel like that we're continuing to keep them, giving them opportunities to do this really engaging, interesting, meaningful work uh, will really kind of help us as we move forward. It's a really interesting future that we have ahead of us. And yeah. so we'll be watching your team and, and other organizations like yours as we expand over the next couple of years. You mentioned earlier some of the resources that you're using for developing employees and managers. You mentioned LinkedIn Learning being a resource that you're offering. What other resources have you been able to provide or are you proud to provide uh, your managers as they start to develop in a new remote world? Yeah, um, one of the things we do, uh, and we evolved this again as we we had sort of a version of it, but I think we got much more uh, structured around it, is we have a monthly manager's call where that, it used to be kind of updates. And then we found that we were doing updates in other forms. It really wasn't necessarily to do, to do you know, specific updates to managers. And that goes back to our value of transparency. And there wasn't all this stuff like, oh, we were only going to tell the managers and we weren't going to tell anybody else. It was like, you know, we shared, we shared most things that we can with everybody. So there wasn't this need to have sort of this information drop for managers because we, we hope to be as transparent as we can with everybody. But what there was is sort of taking that as training opportunities. Uh, and so we We've kept that monthly managers meeting and my team runs it and figures out what kinds of things have we heard. And sometimes it's stuff that, you know, our finance team or comms team or something will help them run through. Uh, and a lot of times it's, it's the people stuff that we'll run through. You know, we've redesigned our mission and vision and values recently. And so how do we start asking the right questions in interviews to make sure that we're evaluating people for the values that we say that we have. How do we make sure that we're doing performance evaluations based on the values that we're, we're putting out there? And so those are the kinds of things we're training managers on, um, on a day-to-day -day basis um, as we move forward, as well as you know all the tactical stuff about how do you make sure that when we're getting to comp review cycle, that you're, what, is, what does it mean to be at a certain place in the range? And how do you have those conversations with your team? So being able to have that manager call has been really helpful. I mean, they're still getting one-on-one -on -one with their business partners and those kinds of things. But what's valuable about the manager's meeting is not only is it sort of us imparting information, but it's our, probably our most active call as participation. And the managers really bounce ideas off one another and work with one another to kind of come up with some, some interesting space. We also have a Slack channel that's a manager-only Slack channel, which is great for, hey, what have you done lately for your team that's fully remote to build 
community and engagement and people come up with great ideas and they'll share those kinds of things. So, you know, having that forum for people to be able to talk about uh, what's working or even articles somebody sees or training programs that people have gone to or something like that. So we try and keep those lines of communication on there for managers. Uh, and then, you know, I think we also share a lot with them. Our people, business partners share a lot with them, both in one-on-one -on -one conversations from what they're hearing from employees, as well as things from the employees feedback survey as well. It sounds like an amazing place to work. As we get close on time here, I, I'd love to hear how you are currently working to retain employees and, and how you're measuring success of your programs, right? You have all these different initiatives. How do you know what's working and what's not? Yeah. Uh, well, like we talked about our employee engagement survey. That's probably our biggest um, spot. Now, I, I will say we got the survey results back uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were very happy with them. That wasn't surprising to us. Uh, you know, if it would come as a big surprise to be really positive or really negative, then we're not doing our job well, right? We should, uh, you know, you don't know exactly where it's gonna gonna fall, but it, we were given the feedback that we had had. We felt like people were relatively engaged, and our scores now are actually higher than industry benchmarks as well. So we kind of felt that our turnover had been better than what we'd seen in the industry as well. So we knew people were fairly engaged. It wasn't sort of a surprise, but part of that isn't just the statistics and the metrics, which I think as an HR person, it's always very important to watch and, and, and keep track of, but it's also listening and having those conversations with employees as well. So we do both, right? We look at the metrics, that kind of stuff, but we are, we try to have as many conversations and we talked about earlier, all the different forums that we were able to get feedback from people, um, as well as sort of the one-on-one -on -one conversations. Nothing beats a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a manager and employee, right? I'm sure other people on this podcast have made that point in the, in the past, but those are the most important things. And then we get a lot of feedback from managers because they're having those conversations on what they're hearing and what the issues and challenges might be that we need to address. One-on-ones are irreplaceable and we work with our members a lot on, you know, coaching through how do you run an effective one-on-one -on -one as an individual yes. contributor? How do you get your manager to, yep. you know, deliver what you need? Um, it's, it's such an important tool. As you advice from, from other people that you've received over the years, have you received any advice that you can part with our listeners today that has been particularly useful for you? I think probably I, I mentioned this before, but I think a lot of, and I, I wish I had a pithy quote to give you that like has stuck with me forever. But I think what I have gotten from a couple of really effective leaders that I've worked for in the past is the importance of data in what we do. One of my pet peeves, like nails on a chalkboard to me when I interview an HR person and they tell me they want to be in HR because they're a people person and I tell them they should do something else because you know, there are a lot of times when that's not, <laughs> that can be challenging when you're a people person working here. Um, but it's really about data. Uh, and it's not all about data, right? But it is having data to support the kinds of things that, that the programs and things that you're running. Um, and so as much as I think it's important to have those employee conversations and do those kinds of things, you need to take that information that you're getting and turn that into some sort of data to be able to support some of the programs and things that you're doing. And so it's not, the only thing, and I think if you ran an HR department strictly on data, <laughs> you'd have a lot of issues, but I think it's the one piece people forget about how important it can be. Um, and that's everything from turnover stats to employee survey scores, to recruiting metrics, to time to fill, you know, any of that kind of stuff can be super important, but most importantly, the feedback that you're getting and how you're recording that from um, your employees that are here and from your employees that are leaving or your employees that might not have decided to join you. We often think about the data on the talent development side, because that's of course where we live. Um, but have you seen useful 
models on how to track the ROI of talent development programs. And I ask this because this subject comes up all the time. Every company is trying to figure out the best way to do that. Um, so data as it relates to training initiatives and, and various programs. Yeah, to be honest, I will say I have, you know, I probably have not cracked that nut either. I, I, I would love to listen to the podcast of the person that has figured that out. But We're working I, on it. <laughs> yeah, it's not something you should stop trying to do. I think there are different forums. It's it's tough to get one one metric that's going to tell you everything. Um, but I think if when you are using different tools, a lot of those tools in general will have some some feedback metrics. So using those to sort of plan your programs and what you're gonna what you're seeing. We'll make sure to send that episode to you as soon as we have it available. Oh, please do. <laughs> I appreciate that. Mark, I appreciate your time. Um, as we wrap up, my final question is, what resources do you go to uh, to get your information and expand your knowledge? Biggest one is peer network. People that I will pick up the phone and call or send a note to or something and say, what's this? There are a ton of things out there. I can't tell you how many emails I delete every day of somebody trying to you know, send me something or being on something. So you kind of have to find the one or two that you really click into. But for me, it's, it's, a, it's a good peer network. And it's a great team. I have a really, really great team that works for me. Um, you know, you've probably heard this on your podcast too, but you know, you hire people that know how to do things you don't know how to do um, and use them and their expertise. So I have a really great team that I know when there's things we need to figure out, I can go to and they'll have the answer or they'll know how to get it too. Um, but for me, it's, you know, it's that network of people internally and externally that I use more than any, any product or resource that it would have. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining me and, and sharing your perspective on how the world is going to transition and how Metro Mile is approaching it. Mark, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes. 